like for us to take some time just to pray for our congregation here before we go to the Word. We, uh, we literally have people from our church all over the world right now. We've got um, Curtis in Italy and uh, the um, Wilcoxes are in um, England right now um, on business. Both of them are on business trips, but uh, sometimes with that comes opportunities to share the gospel in different places. And we have a lot of people from our congregation that are traveling right now, and Brian's preaching somewhere else this morning uh, for a church that is without a pastor. And so, uh, so let's just be praying for these opportunities to share the gospel to preach God's word, and, uh, and also right here at home, uh, in our neighborhoods, in our families, as God brings opportunity to each one of us. Um, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we are mindful of the great commission that your son gave to us before he left, to make disciples of all nations. And as we go, uh, we preach the gospel. As we go, we, we tell people about what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Um, we baptize, we teach. And so, Father, I do pray that as um, we have several among us who are, who are gone this morning on business trips, uh, hunting, uh, visiting family, visiting some friends, I just pray that you would uh, bring opportunities, uh, not only into the lives of those of us who are here in DeWitt, and, and uh, as we minister to our neighbors and our relatives, our co-workers, but also just pray for those that are traveling. Uh, as we are sometimes in these new situations, sometimes uncomfortable situations, a place that's not normal for us. Uh, we're more cognizant of some of the activity and some of the opportunity that's right around us. And so I pray that you would uh, open a door for sharing the gospel and preaching your word uh, wherever uh, we're at today. As we come to your word, we pray that you would teach us. We pray that you would help us, that your spirit would illuminate uh, the meaning of what is here and that he would illuminate uh, what's going on in our hearts. I, I pray that you would help us to, uh, I, I pray that you transform us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. That we would not be conformed to this world, but that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And it starts here as your spirit shows us what you have given to us in your holy word. And so as we turn to the pages of 1 Peter, please teach us. Please soften our hearts and, and glorify your son in our lives today. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, this morning, please turn with me to 1 Peter in your Bibles. We're beginning chapter 1. We're going to pick up in the middle of a section where we were last week uh, as a section about giving thanks. Uh, this, this passage is really an introduction to the whole book. A lot of the themes that we're going to see in these nine verses from, from chapter 1, verses 3 to 12 are, are going to be picked up throughout this epistle. But as we've noted, this is a letter that was written to elect exiles, a, a group of Christians who had been suffering for their faith. These are people who had been displaced and who uh, very likely had lost most everything that they once held valuable in this life, at least materially, and, and oftentimes that included their own families. In fact, where we left off in the middle of this section, uh, Peter noted how they had been grieved by various trials. But as you read through this opening paragraph, we, we also saw that there's a couple astonishing statements that Peter throws out there as he launches into this letter that is supposed to be this letter of encouragement to those who are experiencing suffering, to those that are going through very real and, and various kinds of trials in their lives. And the first surprise is that he begins with a note of praise in verse 3. He, he starts off and says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And we've seen that, that it's important that we orient our perspectives towards eternity and towards what God is doing that is in the bigger picture of our lives in the world. During trials of various kinds, First uh, Peter is a reminder of the song that we have to sing. Not as forgotten outcasts, but as elect exiles who are just not home yet. Sometimes it involves a conscious choice uh, of choosing to rejoice because of what we know and because of what God has done. Well, not only does he say, blessed be God here and, and offer God praise, but he also, secondly, he leads off his statement about their trials and their grief that they've suffered with this. He says, in this, you rejoice. Now, that's not usually how we go about it, isn't it? That's not usually where our brains and our minds go to right away. I'm going through trials. I'm suffering. So what do I do? I rejoice. This is an opportunity to praise God. This is an opportunity to choose sometimes, to rejoice in what God is accomplishing, what God has accomplished, and what God will accomplish, even in the midst of those trials. And so he says, in this, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. All of us endure trials of various kinds during this life, don't we? Sometimes it's just the natural course of events. Sometimes we experience death, loss, trials, persecution, suffering, sickness, age. Sometimes this journey is bitter and lonely. Sometimes it, it, the trials displace us. They disorient us. And sometimes the trials are those that bring great suffering and grief to our lives. And so how can Peter lead off with this bold proclamation that God is blessed and that we greatly rejoice in the midst of those trials. Last week as we examined the first few verses, we, we saw two reasons for this praise. Two reasons for the rejoicing that takes place in the life of the believer. First Peter wants us to see that our living hope has sprung to life because of what God caused to happen in your past. We've seen that your hope is rooted in what God did. It is fundamentally crucial that you come to grips with the truth that you have nothing to offer God which will impress him. And that's bad news, isn't it? That's really bad news. With all of the human race, you have declared war against him by being born in sin. You inherited it, and so you, you were born into a human race that is already at war with our God that created us. But on top of that, every single one of us chose sin. We declared war on him continually. We're in darkness, and therefore as ch or we become children of God's wrath. A and my friends... Because there's nothing we can do about this in and of our own abilities, hell is the eternity that our sin purchases us. And, and the even worse news, again, is that we are completely unable to do anything about it through our own works or our achievements. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that's why we have good news. That's why we call it the gospel, the good news. Jesus came to dwell among us. 
He lived a sinless life, and He then died on a cross for our sin. Therefore, if you believe in Him, you shall not perish but have eternal life. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, the good news of this passage and the good news of the Gospel is that God caused you to be born again. A couple people asked, what what does it mean to be born again? I know some of you were discussing that this last week, and um, you you know what it means to be born, right? We've all seen the process, and and when when you're born into this world, you, you receive physical life. However, because of our sin, all of us were born stillborn. We, we walk around and we lived in darkness. Spiritually, the scripture declares that we were dead in our sin. And so if you want to experience eternal life, the scripture tells us that you must be born a second time. You must receive spiritual birth. And the good news is that God accomplished that. Jesus accomplished the righteousness that you were unable to do, that I was unable to do. And so if you believed in Jesus, then God has caused you to be born again to a living hope. Because Jesus died on the cross, your sin has been forgiven through faith, and because Jesus rose from the dead, you now have eternal life. And for this reason, Peter says, blessed be God. And because of this, he reminds us that we have a reason to rejoice no matter how much we suffer no matter how many trials we endure your hope is rooted in what god did our living hope has sprung to life because of what god caused to happen in your past if you have come to him in faith but that's not all peter also noted as we looked at last week in verses five through six that hope is guarded through faith by a God whose power protects it through the storms of the present. We know that, that we have an inheritance that is kept for us. And it's not, it's not an inheritance that is loaded down with junk. It's not an inheritance uh, that uh, has things that are going to quickly fade away because we spend it all, or because the government taxes it all, or, or because there's family feuds and, and, and you lose half of it. Our inheritance is imperishable. It is undefiled and it is unfading. And God is keeping it safe for you in heaven. But then Peter goes on and he doesn't, he doesn't stop there with what God has done and what God has for you in the future. He, he notes how and shows how you are, are also being guarded in the present by God's power. The, the guarding does not depend on your strength. And I think we all know that if, it, if God commanded us here, to keep ourselves, to guard ourselves until the last time, we, we would all be lost. I, I, I couldn't accomplish that. None of us could keep ourselves safe. But praise be to God that he is the one who guards us. And so the revelation of God's past work and the hope of our future salvation, along with everything that this entails, leads us to rejoice today. And Peter writes, again, in this, you rejoice. And the word that he uses there has this idea, and he's going to keep on coming back to that throughout this epistle, this idea of rejoicing in the midst of suffering. And it's not just this idea of just have joy. It's to be overjoyed, of being exceedingly joyful. 
last week I, I told you the story of me running home after watching a Superman movie when I was about 10 years old or 8 years old. I don't remember what it was, but, but there was this experience of, of temporary joy from something that was of temporal nature. I almost flew home. You, you watch children, and, and they, they just exude sometimes, don't they? They're, they're examples of, of what joy looks like and a picture of of the marvelous joy that we have in Jesus Christ that, that supersedes anything that is temporal or, or worldly. They find joy in places that we have learned to ignore. I, I was reading an account from a medical doctor talking about joy, and, and, and he told it this way. Uh, he said, Katja, our, our seven-year-old granddaughter, stepped in it, as they say. She had doggy droppings at the bottom of her tinnies. Not just one foot, mind you, but both. And her mother, Maureen, suggested that she leave the shoes outside where they could be cleaned after lunch. And so an hour later, Adam and Katja went for a walk to fix the problem. She put on her shoes, she looked for a good stick, and off they went down the street. And when they came to an appropriate place, she sat on the curb and she started scraping. Thirty seconds later, she stopped. She looked up at Adam and with a smile and then down at her shoes and then at the brown stuff scraped onto the street. And she says, you know, Daddy, this would make a very good meal for a dung beetle. The contentment range of unspoiled children is a mile from end to end. Joy beacons, he calls them. God's little ambassadors to cheerless critics. The laughter of just one child is enough to lift a crowd of 50. Where do they get this capacity? How do they pull it off so casually to make happy connections between a shoe full and the disgusting culinary habits of ugly beetles? According to statistics, four-year-olds laugh 26.6 times more than I do. Throw in a puppy, and joy goes off the charts. Kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Contentment in the young does not require Disneyland. It's just a book about beetles. How much more so for those of us who have something to truly rejoice over. To rejoice over what God has done, what he will do, and what he continues to do in our lives today. When's the last time you experienced that kind of rejoicing over something that was just temporal? Something just, it made your heart sing. And, and it was just something that, that it was just a, a gift of something that happened in this world. Maybe a wedding or a, a gift or something that was special. It was over something where the joy eventually faded or, or took on different nature. In, in Christ, because of what God has caused to happen in our past. And because it is his power that guards us. In the present, we have reason to rejoice. It's not just necessarily a, a giddy laughter that makes us laugh like a child. It's, it's bigger than that. Sometimes this joy is associated with happy feelings. It, it does. So sometimes you just want to shout it out. Uh, we, we were talking in our prayer meeting this morning about some, some people who just wanted to shout it out in a church service. And, and, and they did. Right, Andrew? Um, you know, just Sometimes you, just have, you have reason to, to just praise God and, and you just want to express it 
Our, our joy is a feeling in the soul, and not just necessarily in human emotions, but, but within the soul that is produced by the Holy Spirit. And, and it is a hallmark of the Christian's life. And we bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because rejoicing, unlike happiness, is not diminished by suffering. It's not diminished by the circumstances that you go through. Joy doesn't necessarily always mean that you're full of laughter, but there's an inward attitude of the Spirit that is not hindered when we are grieved by various trials or when the circumstances cease to be favorable. Our joy is rooted in God's work. Verses 3 through 6 show us the cause for our rejoicing. But as we continue through this passage, verses 7 through 9 shows us not only the cause for our rejoicing, but also the purpose and the future outcome of our suffering. I I want you to notice something here, and and I'd like you to tuck this away in what I call your your back brain pocket, okay? Just just tuck it away there. Uh, Look at how verse 7 starts. In most of your translations, it says, so that, right? Is that what everybody has? Maybe some of you just have that. So that. You know, the New Testament writers were masters at using transition words in, in, their, in their letters and in the gospel even, the gospels. Uh, they, they use transition words like because, therefore. One of my favorites, henceforth. I often use that one. And so that. And and I want you to remember this phrase, because sometimes we just kind of fly by it, don't we? You you see so that, and it's just like, it's kind of like an and or a but or an or, but it's it's maybe a little bit more significant than that. And I I want you to take note of this word, this phrase, so that, because what follows those two words typically is going to give you a purpose statement. As you're doing your Bible study, your own personal Bible study, I want you to tuck in some of these words in your, again, that back brain pocket, and, and note that that when God puts that so that in the passage, he's going to give you something that's going to declare a purpose for, some, for what came right before it. Peter just mentioned that these people were grieved by various trials. And immediately in verse 7, he says, so that. He drops that little phrase in there. So you can count on what he's going to share next is going to be a statement explaining the purpose for what he's just finished explaining in verse 6. Have you ever suffered through trials before? Have you ever kind of wondered why? Not necessarily even just questioning God or or being angry at God. I'm I'm not saying that. But just sometimes you've gone through things and you went, oh, why is this happening? (laughs) And maybe just a little curiosity. Not understanding how it all fits into the big picture. Well, Peter wants us to understand that God is at work when we are grieved by various trials. What you're going through now, perhaps, God is at work in that, and he's accomplishing his purpose in that, and it is glorious, and it is big. Here's his purpose as he describes it in verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, okay, and when you hear that word tested, genuineness, tested, that, that idea there is something that's been refined. It, it's, it's a metallurgy term. And, and he's going to go into that here in a minute. It, it's, it's this idea of something being refined by fire. Um, 
And so when you see that word tested, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, there is a much bigger picture than the temporary hardship of what we face today. There's a much bigger picture than the reality that I am the one in the middle of that hardship. Sometimes you feel it. But there's something bigger happening there, and be assured of that. There's a much bigger picture than what I feel and what I'm experiencing, and as real as that is, there's something grander and more glorious that God is doing. My hardships, understand, they're not dismissed by God. And He remains, of course, compassionate as you go through that. He's empathetic towards that. That's the, one of the most beautiful things about Jesus Christ coming to this earth and, and suffering as we do. In fact, suffering like none of us have before. He went beyond anything we've experienced in so many ways. He's compassionate and sympathetic to, to the pain that we feel. But when I suffer, I need to remember that God is at work through those trials for a bigger purpose. And one of the most profound purposes that he has for our trials is that he would test the genuineness of our faith peter compares our faith to to gold and and he notes that that gold is of much less value because eventually it's going to perish how many of you guys like gold most of us are wearing gold of one nature i've got my wedding ring on um you know gold's value you know you somebody gives you gold you go wow you know that's that's significant. Uh, it's important. You, you win a, a trophy, a medal. Which one do you want? The gold. Yeah, that's first place. You know, it's significant. It has value. And Peter says there's something of greater value than just gold that's going to perish. And, and your faith is something that has eternal value. And its value will never diminish. Have you ever seen someone test gold, though? The idea here is not that they are testing it to see if it's the real thing or not. I mean, you can do that too. But that's not the picture that Peter's painting with this. Uh, Just as God already knows whether your faith is real or not. When when he talks about testing in 1 Peter, the idea is the gold or the testing of your faith is that, that of refining it. When gold is tested, they, they, they take it and, and they melt it down. And, and all the impurities are separated from what is genuine. And, and then that gold is cast into a form, a ring, a brick, an Olympic medal. Uh, when I was a kid growing up in the mountains of Colorado, I, we, we oftentimes played around some old mines once in a while while we were hiking around. And every once in a while, a person, you can still go out there and you can still find a nugget of gold somewhere. It's in the mountains. It's there. And... Uh, you find that gold, but you wouldn't want that gold to just be molded into something as it is, would you? It's usually in a rock. It usually has other metals and other minerals that are, that are twisted with it. You wouldn't want it molded into a prize because that gold contains all kinds of impurities. And hopefully you found enough of it that you can, you can do something with it, but it's not ready to be cast into something to be prized yet because 
But because I recognize the value of that gold, I would consider it worthy of taking it somewhere and having somebody refining it for me so that I can make a ring or a trophy or something of value. And here's the beauty of your trials. Peter is telling us that God allows suffering in your life. More to the point, oftentimes he brings suffering and trials into your life. He doesn't tempt you with sin, but oftentimes he allows circumstances or allows people that that do sin to bring trials into your life. And oftentimes God brings those trials into your life not because he doesn't love you, not because he's enjoying your suffering and he's not compassionate towards it, but rather because he sees your faith as worthy of refining. Like gold that you find in a rock, that you want to do something with it. You don't want to just leave it as it is. You see it as worthy of doing something greater. And God, in the same way, sees your faith as something that is of value and worthy of refining. So God puts us through the refining refining process. And the result is the tested genuineness of your faith. And this great prize that was worthy of refining is the prize that will honor our king at the revelation of Jesus Christ. These trials are difficult today. But the process that is taking your faith in him and turning it into something even more beautiful. So as we rejoice, we must keep an eternal perspective. Recognizing that the present trials today are just a a small picture of the bigger, more glorious end. As we rejoice, we must keep an eternal perspective knowing that we are being prepared for future glory. And that what happens in this lifetime is just a glimpse. And that what you go through now is going to have fruit for eternity. I love talking with Todd as he was going through his cancer. He's going to share his testimony in a few weeks. Uh, one of the things he shared was some advice from John Piper. He said, don't waste cancer. Isn't that an interesting way of looking at that? Don't waste your cancer. What an opportunity to rejoice. What an opportunity to be refined in the fire and, and that that faith would come out as a prized possession. In all of your trials, don't waste it, but rejoice and see that God is accomplishing something even greater in you. We keep an eternal perspective. And, and it's hard because, uh, in, in part, part of it why it's hard, it's, we, we haven't seen Jesus, have we? You know, it, it would have been great to be one of the disciples and to walk down that road with them. And I mean, I can see myself rejoicing as they joke and they push each other and they, you know, they, they jump into Lake the Sea of Galilee, and Peter dunks Jesus under the water. You can hear him laughing, right? We haven't seen Jesus. And Peter says that. I mean, and Peter's feeling it. I mean, this is Peter, right? 
And he hasn't seen Jesus for 30 years. You feel that pain, that loss. But you can also feel the gain and the perspective and the joy in Peter's life. You see, it's difficult now but because we, we have not seen him. But Peter says, but we love Jesus. We believe in him. And here he brings it back into the discussion. We rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. But here's the kicker. You see, in verse 5, he spoke of our salvation as something ready to be revealed in the last time. Aren't you looking forward to that? Aren't you looking forward to seeing him face to face? Aren't you looking forward to that day when Jesus comes through the clouds and he calls us home? I mean, it's going to be glorious. The rejoicing of that day. Wow. That's what he's talking about in verse 5. But in verse 9, the kicker is this. You and I, if you were a follower of Jesus, you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross, then you are already obtaining the outcome of your faith. You're already obtaining it. And I don't want you to miss this wonderful truth. You are already experiencing salvation as something that you receive in the here and the now. I'm not just talking about your justification, which has been accomplished in the past. God did that. That will never be taken away. And I'm not just talking uh, about the future aspects of our salvation, which we will be taken up into glory and, and experience eternity with Him. But you are already experiencing salvation today in the here and the now. One day we will be free from pain, We'll be free from suffering, and, and we'll praise God. And, and praise God, we're going to be free from the presence of sin altogether. That's the most glorious, one of the most glorious parts of it. But you are experiencing the joy which comes from your growth in maturity today. God is saving you today, and you are experiencing those different aspects of that salvation as he transforms you into something new. It's not just a future thing that you're going to be transformed eventually one day, but until then, well, you know, just crawl around in the mud. No, he is transforming you into something beautiful now. And the blessing of future salvation is being lived out in part today because each day we are becoming more like jesus and we're living out the results of our eternal life now that is something to rejoice over in christ because what god caused to happen in our past and because it is his power that guards us in the present we have reason to rejoice and in christ we have a purpose for our suffering, for he is producing salvation in our lives today, and he will produce future glory when he's revealed. This opening song of thanksgiving in verses 3 through 12, it, re it reminds us of the song that we have to sing. It's a reminder to us that we have reason to rejoice. Sometimes it's a decision. I will rejoice even though I'm in the midst of this because I have something glorious to rejoice over that is greater than anything I'm going through. Peter expresses a, this living hope for all time, and, and you can see all the different aspects of that throughout this passage. But before we close, I'd like you to notice a bonus that he adds in verses 10 through 12. It's still part of the same discussion, 
We, we bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, not only because of what he has done in our past, not only because of what he is producing in the present, and not only because of the living hope that we anticipate in the future, but all of this is something that was greatly anticipated in the past. We, we're reminded here that the salvation that you presently are enjoying as you walk with Jesus Christ, as you are indwelt by and as you are filled with the Holy Spirit, this is something that was anticipated for all of human history. From the moment that Adam and Eve sinned and God promised that he was going to send a deliverer, that there would be a seed born of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent. For all of human history, people have been anticipating this promise. And, and the prophets came, and they spoke. And you read Daniel, and, and you hear these prophecies that Daniel's talking about. And, and, he, and there's, sometimes he goes, I, I, don't, I don't understand what I just said. <laughs> you know, an angel talks to him, and he's writing it down. He's like, I don't get it. And what did the angel tell him? Daniel, close the books. This is not for you. It's for a time far in the future. Sorry, man. You're just not going to understand a lot of the things you're prophesying and you're writing down. And he understood that this was for somebody else. It was for you. The other prophets did the same thing. They prophesied things. They preached. And they knew that there was something that was coming that they were looking forward to, but they weren't going to be the ones to experience it. They were saved by grace. They were saved through faith as they looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. But, but a lot of the fulfillment of those things was not going to take place in their lifetime. We're living in the last days now, though. When the Bible says the last days, it's talking about everything that happened after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. From the resurrection forward, we're in the last days. You, you are living in the last days. We might be at the very end of the last days, the last of the last days, but the whole New Testament period is the last days. And, and you are experiencing it. You are a part of that. You were living in the last days and experiencing the fulfillment of what others only dreamed about for thousands of years. Now our past, present, and future, everything that's past, present, and future in your life was a weighted prophecy for them. And you possess what many longed for in the past. Peter writes it this way in verses 10 and 11. He says, concerning this salvation, what was just talked about in verse 9, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the spirit of christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of christ and the subsequent glories and, and so to put this in perspective have you ever read daniel or revelation and have you ever thought to yourself what is happening have you ever read it and go <laughs> okay i get that this is happening in the future and, and I look forward to that, but there's stuff happening here. I just can't comprehend what that's going to look like. I can't comprehend the, the how or the when. When are these things going to happen? How, how's God going to bring that to pass? There are still things that we await. But for the Old Testament saints, what they were more concerned about was how God had prophesied the first coming of Christ. And, and they read and they studied and they asked questions about all that God said that the Messiah was going to accomplish. And they tried reconciling that, that 
with, they, they tried reconciling their minds as to what God was saying about the Messiah suffering. I mean, isn't he supposed to come and conquer? Isn't he supposed to be victorious? But, but Isaiah talks about him suffering, and how does that work? And, and they're trying to wrap their minds around it. They longed to understand that which is plainly recorded in the Scripture and, and laid out for you and me. You, you were living out what they longed just to get a glimpse of. Furthermore, while they didn't understand the when and the how, they did understand that, that what they recorded was for future generations that what they wrote down in the Old Testament was for you. They, they were serving you. Furthermore, Peter tells us that, that these, were, these were things which angels longed to look. Isn't that cool? Not even the angels in heaven understood it all. And for all those thousands of years, the angels were going, okay, how's, how is he going to do this? And they longed to look into it, and they wanted to know, and they wanted to, they, they anticipated it. But they didn't know either. Not completely. What filled the imagination of the prophets and the angels of heaven is now your present salvation. You are living out what they longed just to get a small glimpse of. And so, friends, today, if you have believed in God's Son who came down from heaven, who died on the cross for your sins, then you have heard the good news through the work of the Holy Spirit, and you are presently enjoying the fruits of your salvation. The Old Testament saints and the angels would rejoice to just see what you have the opportunity to experience, even while you long for his complete fulfillment and his return. David Wells, Walls writes it this way. He says, Believers in Christ are the heirs of the full message of the prophets. The least disciple of Jesus Christ is in a better position to understand Old Testament revelation than the greatest prophet before Christ came. Knowing Jesus gives us a clearer picture of salvation than the prophets ever knew. It reminds us that our pain and our suffering do not diminish the living hope that has been given to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I offer you this in closing. If the prophets carefully inquired into what you presently enjoy, if the angels of heaven long to look into the things that you have inherited as a child of the living God. How shall we live today? How shall we live knowing what God caused to happen to you? How shall we live knowing that God guards you, not just your inheritance, but he guards you for the salvation which will take place when Jesus returns. How shall we live during these present trials when we do not see Jesus, 
We don't walk with him right next to us physically, but we love him. We believe in him. How should we live when we yet have the privilege of enjoying the first fruits of his salvation? We experience that today. Though we do not see Jesus, we still have this privilege of enjoying the first fruits of his salvation in our lives now. And so, my friends, let us live by blessing the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise him. Choose to rejoice. I know sometimes it's a choice. Sometimes you don't feel like it. There's so much to rejoice over, but sometimes the emotion of it, the the burden of the, the circumstances and the trials in your life, I mean, rejoicing is a choice that you make as you remind yourself of all that you have in him. Let us live by blessing him, and let us bless him in the praise that comes from our lips. Let us bless him in the worship that we give, And let us bless him as we await the return of our blessed hope. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity that we have. We've been so, so gifted that we live in this time where we experience everything that that the prophets and the angels just wanted just to see a little bit of. And, And we have this blessed hope which you have given to us We have the salvation that you accomplished in our lives, which we could never do. But through Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, you gave to us eternal life. You gave to us forgiveness. And our sins have been washed away as far as the east is from the west. Father, you've given to us all of this and guarded us and given us the promise of what is yet to come. And so we rejoice. You are a good God and we thank you.